Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Good morning. We are so glad you've joined us for our show today. We have a really interesting topic that is going to resonate with a lot of women, and that is about abdominal issues. And we're going to be talking to Isabel Spradlin, who is an abdominal practitioner. So what do I mean by that? We're talking about things that have to do with your belly, uh, cesarean sections afterward, um, bowel obstruction, all kinds of things that have things to do with being uncomfortable with your abdomen and usually relate to surgery, adhesions, and other abdominal distress. I've had two C-sections. I know exactly what she's talking about. And so she's been working with women to be comfortable in their one and only magical body as life goes on. So I'd love to introduce you to our audience, Isabel. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. When we talked before the show, I thought it was interesting because I know that as we get older, the scars from, I don't know, broken arms, surgeries, other things we've had do tend to bother us a little more as we get older. But those stinking abdominal things, especially when surgery is involved, have a way. (laughs) There's gravity. There's adhesions. There's the way we've exercised since then. Or maybe before, uh, injuries, car accidents, you name it. But if it involves your midsection, it's particularly uncomfortable. So give us an overview of what you do as an abdominal practitioner. I thought it was fascinating. Well, thanks. And I think that's such a great introduction to it. Yeah, I mean, just living life can um, set up ways of making our abdomens even more uncomfortable after there's been some sort of big experience. So... Mm-hmm. Whether the big experience was um, childbirth or a surgery, all the car accident, all the different things that you've mentioned, um, you know, even if for you it was the end product was joyful, you had a child, and that's wonderful. It can <laughs> still be a really sort of traumatic. oh, if I could have gotten out of birth any way I could have, I would have. <laughs> But there just wasn't a way. I know. It makes you go through it. Yeah. And that can feel kind of traumatic to the body. It can be traumatic to the tissues of the body. Mm -hmm. And so then the question becomes, how do we help ourselves really fully recover from that? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, especially with things like, well, it, it goes, it runs the gamut. Whether you have given birth or had a surgery, um, usually six weeks after that major, major event, six weeks after your doctors say, okay, you're done, go forth and live your life. Hmm. And that actually is right where my work begins because. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I've never understood, maybe you can explain this to me, when a woman gives birth by cesarean, whether uh, emergency or planned and is given six weeks, you not only have your own life to worry about, you've got a little tiny baby to take care of. Uh, And yet when you have a hysterectomy, which now is often done laparoscopically or vaginally, you're given months and months of recuperation. 
which is a wonderful development. Um, it is, but you understand what I'm uneven. saying. It, I do. Well, it I, is uneven, and and yeah. I don't. I never really understood the whole thing. Yeah, and I think you know it's part of just sort of this evolving nature of women's health care that, you know, it's sort of one of those two steps forward, one steps back type thing mm-hmm. in our medical community as far as how women are treated overall in their health care. Um, and we are learning a lot more about how to really help ourselves. Um, and the medical community is learning more about what is really required for um, true recovery, where you mm-hmm. kind of get back to being able to live your life without urinary distress or without mm-hmm. pain during sex or without huge abdominal digestive changes, maybe mm-hmm. um, without that low back pain that often comes after an abdominal surgery, mm-hmm. all sorts of different things. You know, it's I think it's becoming, um, thankfully, a little more there's there's a little more awareness building that those things do not have to follow you through the rest of your life after giving birth, you don't, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you kind of don't have to put up with those things. If you can find the right kind of abdominal care to sort of bring all those tissues and your organs and the pelvic bones and even the muscles of your legs and glutes, all of that good stuff, if it can kind of be brought back into a new balance, then a lot of that symptomology resolves. And that's where we really want women to be. Well, absolutely. And, And we're leaving out a big one, which is cancer. I mean, there right. is a lot of abdominal cancer, or I'll say abdominal because the only way to get to the cancers, various cancers, is through abdominal surgery. Right. And while we have gotten to lapro- laparoscopy, it is, it is still a jolt to the system, okay. and there still are repercussions following. So the things that you've mentioned are really interesting because digestive issues, m- many doctors will not connect that with prior surgery. I do right. find that um, I was blessed enough to have a DO, an osteopath, deliver my daughter, mm-hmm. who was an emergency C-section. And he he they understand the root causes of things a lot more than uh, standard medical practice, which helps. Yeah. But, but years later, it was another osteopath who said, okay, did you how long ago was this and are you feeling this 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 and this and it was yes so we are blessedly getting to more holistic care and more looking at cause and effect as opposed to um well that's sort of women's burden to bear for having children and i don't want to make this just about having children because i know many people who have had abdominal surgeries for illness um, even little things like appendectomy or cholecystectomies, gallbladder surgeries, you know, they have hernias. There are other reasons that you end up having it. Um, right. A family member recently gave a kidney yeah. and mm-hmm. major surgery. Major and surgery. Major surgery. And so let's talk about those things. Yeah. As and you actually- talk about it, do you have, well, let me ask you, let's sort of stage this. As you're looking at at women, do you notice a difference if someone has had, um, I'll call it a a healthy physical outlook before these things happen? So they were more or less strong through their core, understood good nutrition. Is there a difference between taking care of yourself throughout your life versus, you know, we all slip? from time to time, and this is not a judgment call in any way, shape, or form, so let me put that out there. But 
I often think people say, oh, you're lucky. You have good DNA. Mm. Um, when sometimes that doesn't make any difference at all. Right. Yeah. So I'll preface this just a little bit by saying for the, so I've been in practice for 12 years and for about the first eight or nine years, I was working with people, men and women from all sorts of different abdominal surgeries. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've seen, uh, old style surgeries where they used to just open up the entire abdomen Mm -hmm. and, and kind of do it that way. And now we're more in this laparoscopic range generally with surgeries. Um, and I've seen lots of surgeries that were supposed to start out in one way in this very laparoscopic <laughs> way. And then halfway right. through it ends up being something completely different and much more, much bigger. Right? right. So, so I've, I've seen the gamut and I've definitely had the gamut of clients as well come into my practice as far as how, yeah, exactly. How well did, um, how much, were they exercising beforehand? Was this sort of like a lifestyle thing for them that they were very active and maybe were very uh, aware of what they were eating, staying really hydrated? And how do they recover versus the folks who maybe, you know, maybe don't walk uh, around the block even once a week, you know, and maybe aren't so um, aware of, of how they're eating and things like that. The reality that I've, in my practice, what I've experienced is, is that in a way, in a way, it doesn't doesn't matter. matter. I knew, I was afraid you were going to say that. (laughs) So, but I thought you were, in fact, I knew you were. But there is a distinction to be made. Everybody can recover, but it takes everybody a different amount of time to Mm -hmm. recover. And I will say that as a general rule, the more active you are, the more active of a lifestyle you have, the more that your body is used to processing information like, oh, wow, that was a tough run, or that was a tough hike, or I really asked a lot from my body, the more that your body is used to being asked to do things, Mm -hmm. oftentimes that makes the recovery process a lot easier because your body is already sort of set up to, to take in a little bit more difficult things and, Mm -hmm. and heal itself. Well, it makes sense because it's muscle memory in many cases. Um, but I, but I brought that up just to show to people, it doesn't matter if you're in good shape or not, you're still going to have a body that's slightly different than God made it. (laughs) <laughs> after you have that's, these surgeries. That's right. It really, surgery really changes things. It changes the tension patterns in your skin, your fascia, your muscle. It changes how your organs sit in your abdominal cavity. Right. It changes how, you know, sometimes even just depending on what position your body is in during surgery, uh, that can often change how your really? musculature is relating to, um, to how your abdomen is now with all of these changes. Yeah. I mean, I've just seen so many interesting things as a result of people going through the process of surgery. And, you know, I do think it bears again. I love that you asked this question and the way that you asked it, but it does bear repeating. Everybody can recover. Mm-hmm. It's just, you have to find how your body is going to recover the best. And, I have found that this hands-on work, so some, you know, physical therapists, when they practice it, call it manual therapy. I tend to call it manual therapy a lot as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's scar mobilization. It's right. adhesion release. It's, you know, abdominal massage. There are all kinds of different abdominal massage. But, you know, however you view it, um, it it is profoundly impactful and can really help the recovery process 
from any kind of surgery or any kind of trauma to the abdomen, whether it's just the huge exertion of giving birth, right? Um, even if everything goes completely according to plan and it's a quote unquote easy birth, um, as if that really exists. That's an excellent <laughs> And I'm going to have to break you off here. We have to go on a break. But I, I think that this is very interesting because we will often um, know someone or have it ourselves uh, a surgery that we didn't anticipate, and we're going to learn more today about how to recover well and what questions to ask. We'll be right back after this break. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Sodium intake can be problematic because most Americans have way too much. The recommended sodium intake is 2,300 milligrams a day, but the average intake in the U.S. is 3,400 milligrams a day. Sodium attracts fluid and too much leads to hypertension, which raises your chances of having a stroke, heart failure or heart attack, and kidney disease. Table salt is definitely a culprit of high sodium intake, but there are other seemingly unseen ways to take sodium in. Sports drinks, energy drinks, and sodas all have high sodium levels. Macaroni and cheese, seasoned rice, and other boxed meals contain high amounts of sodium, along with processed meats, especially if they have been cured, smoked, or canned. Restaurant food is also a huge offender. Eating fresh food at home is your best offense. I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Isabel Spradlin. And, you know, on the break we were talking, I I think it's interesting how the medical profession itself takes a look at, okay, what are your symptoms? Let's fix your symptoms. And they seldom look beneath the surface to find out what is wrong. So, for example, one example, um, you're having digestive issues. A lot of the medications that are prescribed do not address the underlying cause. They address the symptoms. And I think as practitioners of our own bodies, we are well served to take a look at everything someone tells us and ask questions. Will this help me, uh, you know, remove the symptoms that are bothering me? Uh, does it get to the root of the problem? Well, actually, you know, doctor, ma'am, or sir, what, what is the root of this? Why is this occurring? Because I want to get to the root of it and fix, fix it. I am a functional medicine person at this point, I would like Mm -hmm. answers. I don't want just the quick fix. And I think most people are like that these days. So as you were practicing, was it a, a hard carry to have other physicians and referrals? I imagine you get referrals. Understand that all of these things that are connected, I mean, that silly old song, you know, the hip bones connected to that <laughs> yeah. leg bone, all of that is very true. And it is. mind, body, and spirit, we are all connected. And so was that a long, heavy carry to get people to understand that abdominal 
surgeries and and exercises and things like that could help and alleviate some symptoms of digestive issues, low back pain, core strength. The body does heal over time given the right help. Given the wrong help or no help, it'll try and fix itself and does yeah. usually a good job, but it may cause other symptoms later on in life. Yeah, exactly. And it is a heavy carry because, you know, there are so many things that we know anecdotally um, or just through straight up experience working with people over and over again. I know that if somebody is having bowel obstructions or other major digestive distress, lots of bloating, lots of discomfort in the belly, then they now want to call everything leaky gut. Right. But, and a huge part of this is not just what's happening inside the tube of the intestines, but we need to look at how able are your intestines to expand and contract within the The belly. So, yeah, exactly. And so if they're stuck to the fascia of the abdominal wall or the loops are stuck, the intestinal loops are stuck to each other, or maybe the lower intestinal loops are stuck to the uterus, or if you don't have a uterus, your bladder, possibly stuck to other um, tendons, ligaments in the belly, that really profoundly changes their ability to do their work. And so, yeah, a lot of these digestive issues... um, the inflammation that can come with digestive issues, um, the repetitive stress of sitting through most of our lives these days, oh, interesting. things like that. A lot of that can add in to this issue of the guts just really don't have enough mobility within the abdominal cavity. And if we can change that, I've seen people get so much digestive relief through through the intestines being more mobile overall mm-hmm. in the belly that it's just amazing. So I know this from personal practice, from professional practice, and right. yet there's not sort of hard scientific evidence to say that's what's happening, which is what makes it hard for the medical community to really take it seriously. Well, they're uh, not trained on it. Right. That's the issue too. If they're not trained on certain things that alleviate symptoms, um, but they're trained to fix it, then there's, there's very little practice. They don't do it intentionally. It's just that medicine is so siloed these days with the practices, the sub practices, the subspecialties that you'll be sent to 10, 12 people. But if you're sent to a surgeon, they want to cut. If you're sent right. to someone else, they want to do something else. Um, GI docs, yet another thing. So mm-hmm. I, I think what you're bringing up makes total sense because every, I, I will say it again. When your body is taken apart and it isn't the way God made it originally, it's going to be different and it will try and heal itself. Of course. Which in this case, as you said, sometimes that means, okay, I need to stabilize these intestines so I'm going yes. to glue them to each other. Exactly. Use that as an example and tell me how you would treat someone who comes in and says, I've got, you know, real digestive issues. I'm, I'm bloated all the time. I'm uncomfortable all the time. There doesn't seem to be a change when I change my diet. Um, talk to me about the, um, massage because I know abdominal massage can be done simply and can make a world of difference. It can. And, And one of the things that I hear from people who are exploring even maybe allowing somebody to touch their belly is that Mm -hmm. they're really worried that if you start, quote unquote, digging around in there, that it's going to make things worse. 
And Uh, I totally get that worry. I get that fear. And I just want to say from the outset that everything I do is really based in two things, safety and effectiveness, because one without the other is no good. Correct. So the, there are tons of different myofascial techniques, organ release techniques. Um, there are certain protocols that different practitioners learn and some of them follow those same protocols throughout their entire practice. I tend to uh, practice and teach much more individualized, non-protocol based. Tailor it. Okay. Yeah. Because as, as we know, but it's so hard to, to really fully grasp, everybody is different and everybody's body responds a little bit differently, sometimes a lot differently. Mm-hmm. But as far as the techniques themselves, one of the most profound things that I've found over the last, you know, well, 12 years is that for the most part, if somebody has had abdominal surgery of any kind, mm-hmm. they absolutely do not, they barely want to think about their scars, much less just lay a hand over their scars. Huh. And that can really work against us in the long run. Mm-hmm. So our nervous system sort of sets up this revulsion. Most of the time it actually comes through as nausea when people touch their scars for the first time. Interesting. And And during the first healing process, that's good. We need to leave that alone so that the scar can fully form and Mm -hmm. make sure that we are actually physically healed. Mm -hmm. But then after that, we have to learn to overcome that revulsion and start to really engage with the scars or the discomfort. And one of the best ways to do that is just to start sort of in a way desensitizing yourself to touch Mm -hmm. in the area that you're having troubles with. So for some people, it will be a scar. For other people, it will be this pain area that seems unrelated to Mm -hmm. any scars, or maybe they've never had surgery and they still have this pain. Mm -hmm. So learning to just lay your hand there and convince yourself you really kind of have to work at it sometimes to convince yourself that it is safe just to have your hand there. Mm -hmm. And once you have that piece down, then you can start to slowly engage and slowly let your fingertips or sometimes the whole palm of your hand or the edge of your hand start to sink into your belly and just see how far in your tissues will let you sink. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you're not going to get past the skin level, which is very, very shallow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll get into that fascial level and it'll start to feel dangerous. And so then you pause and you take a breath and you say, is this actually dangerous? Probably not. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to hang out here and see what changes happen. Even at that level of engagement, your body can start to really change. It can start to really open. It can start to really release things. Um, And once people start to get a sense of, oh my gosh, this is actually having some kind of effect, it might not be immediate pain relief. Um, It might feel more like just a subtle relaxation in their body or even in their mind about the, the problematic area. Once you start to get a sense of, wow, I can go slow, I can sink in, we're not pushing in, we're sinking in, we're allowing I'm, I'm sort of working with my body rather than trying to, you know, force it to do something. Well, it's interesting because some therapeutic massage therapists will do a belly massage for those who are constipated, uh, those who are, are just uncomfortable. And that's pretty standard of middle of the road at this point. I don't know that they advertise that they do these things, but if you say I've got 
problems? Because I'll always ask you when you start a massage thing, you know, what are your medical issues, etc. And if you're not able to do it, sometimes experiencing someone else, such as yourself, um, providing it, they realize that, oh, it's not that big a deal. Right, exactly. And then once you have that baseline, like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. This actually feels good, maybe mm-hmm. even, you know, which is wonderful. Then you can start to get into the more sort of quote unquote technical stuff, mm-hmm. um, skin lift- lifting techniques, actual adhesion release. And, mm-hmm. and once you start making those sort of soft tissue structural changes, mm-hmm. um, that's when you start getting the more long-term relief. So that's really where you're starting to, you're, you've learned how to let your body or you've learned how to let a practitioner sort of sink into your belly far mm-hmm. enough to actually get into the intestinal loops. And once you're there, then you can start to gener- uh, gently, but effectively start to release some of those adhesions between the intestinal loops. You can start to feel into the deeper layers of those scars, um, you know, because the scars have different layers. There's the skin layer that we can see, but there are layers of scarring and often layers of suturing below that inside right. the body. So now, do people tell you that this causes pain or they have fear of pain? everybody has, well, most people have fear of pain as this is happening. And it's like almost all other therapeutic body work in the sense that sometimes as you're doing this, you are accessing the pain that is there. The Mm -hmm. the pain response that your nervous system has set up Mm -hmm. often as a way to protect you. Um, And so as you're accessing that, it can sort of bring up that pain but for most people, it's actually very relaxing. The first thing that I usually hear is, oh my gosh, that's real. I'm not crazy after all. I right. really am having that pain. And yes, yes. So it's relieving in that way to begin with. Um, well, because then, oftentimes we are told that we're imagining it and it was yeah. 20 years ago and it's, you know, honestly, it's in your head. And that's not the case. And exactly. I, think, I think almost everyone is relieved when they realize there's something organically causing Yes. Would you agree? Absolutely. 100%. And I think that's one of the most beautiful parts about this is it just helps people feel like, oh, I'm not crazy. (laughs) I'm I'm not (laughs) making this up. This is not in my head. Like this is actually in the tissues of my body. And that is so empowering to people because once you know it's in the tissues of your body and it's really quote unquote real, then there's something you can do about it. There's something you can do to help it. And at that point, most people are willing to put up with a little bit of discomfort in the release process in order to get that relief that now seems very possible, right? Well, so you're also giving them hope. Yeah. Because if you've been uncomfortable for a very long period of time and you think there isn't any hope, suddenly if you're the one that they're passing them off to after the six weeks after the surgery, they have such a better chance of getting better than the longer term ones. We have to go on another break. And when we come back, I'd love to talk about the fact that sometimes you've had abdominal surgery 20, 30 years ago and are suffering now. Is it too late? And so we will have that answer for you after the break. If you want to have more information while you're listening, go to healmybelly.com and we will be back right after these short messages. Don't go away. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. 
I was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hardy bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? Hog-a-ma-dog. Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to typothermia. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. We all know that we need to eat more fruits and vegetables every day. The Centers for Disease Control reported that only 32.5% of adults in the U.S. ate fruit two or more times daily, and just over a quarter of Americans ate vegetables three or more times per day. The nutritional recommendations are that you eat at least five servings of fruit and veggies daily. You need to make a conscious effort to fill your diet with fruit and veggies, and it's actually easy to do. Start by adding vegetables to your favorite dishes like broccoli and onions to your pizza. Add cut-up carrots and peppers to your pasta. It's taken me a few years, but I can now say that the majority of our diet at home is vegetables and fruit. By making a conscious effort, you can do it too. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back. On the break, we are, of course, trading women horror stories because that's what we tend to do sometimes. <laughs> um, but, but I think that many, many people have experienced uh, scarring, and we'll talk specifically this time about recovery from cesarean births. And what if you'd had it a long time ago, 20, 25, 30 years ago, but you know that there are things that are very different about you. You may not have the abdominal strength you used to have. You may have to alter the way you do core exercises if you're an exerciser and that there's a that, that pooch over your scar that wasn't there. Um, there's just things. Are there things you can do many years later? Is it ever too late to take it's a look? Never at too this? late. There we no. go. That's what yep. I wanted to hear. <laughs> That's actually one of my primary messages um, throughout my website and everywhere else. Is that it is never too late. And this, you know, I, I'm always happy to talk about the cesarean births, but this goes for any surgical anything. It is never too late to fully recover or to recover to the best ability that your body can possibly do for you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so going back to the cesarean thing, which, which overlaps with almost every other surgery as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the actually in the beginning of, in the early years of doing the abdominal work, um, the way I even became aware that cesareans could have such a lifelong impact was because I was treating women in their sixties and even seventies who had had cesarean births 30, wow. 40 years before. Okay. And it was playing into the work that we were doing. And so almost by default, I had to work with their cesarean scars in order to help them 
get the other results that we are trying to do in those mm-hmm. sessions, right? Mm-hmm. And so it really is never too late to start working with any of this, whether it's the scar that's concerning you specifically or some of the other symptomology that can come up, the digestive distress, the urinary distress, the random, seemingly random hip pain, things like that. All of it can, you can start working on this really at any time. And while it makes it easier to recover if you start sooner rather than later, of course, the only drawback of starting later is that it just takes longer um, to kind of get back. Well, but I think that's encouraging to people because you don't have to suffer just because there wasn't a, a there wasn't a medicinal way to get back. I, I think you know there are so many things that change rapidly in medicine, and I'm so pleased to see this move back to what I'll call a more holistic approach, the functional medicine pr- approach. Let's get going at the level that it will help you. Yeah, you know that kind of thing because not everybody follows that methodology they they honestly don't and so getting back to that seems to be a more recent thing in the last 10 years let's get to the root of the problem let's let's honestly look at past traumas to the body and what we can do to address them so as you're you're saying it's not too late so can you give an example of something that you would do is it the belly massage for the cesarean scar or abdominal scar if you've given a kidney and you have uh, lower back pain because that's two incisions that's one very low one higher in the belly um, there's a lot that goes on in the surgical suite that we may not think about at the time and that's a happy thing that uh, right I won't bring that in again I mean it, there are surgery that you have for bad things to get rid of things badly for your body but in the case of a volunteer uh, kidney donor that is a very positive, amazingly generous thing to do, especially yeah. if you're giving to a stranger. So you're going in with a positive outlook, but you still may end up with the physical adhesions and, and issues with scars later. So a state of mind does help. A good mind-body connection helps. But the best positive aspects in the world aren't going to make some of these things go away. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's some of it that our physical body just, it has to heal, you know, like we can't, um, there's no getting around that there are physical processes that need to happen. We need to have the extra collagen fibers that are in scar tissue to heal Mm -hmm. the physical wounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're right. The more sort of connected and working in tandem that the mind part of it and the physical part of it and the emotional part of it, when all of that is working together, it does seem to me, anecdotally speaking from my practice over so many years, that that, that does help to speed recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is because there's not so much fear because sort of all systems are on board with healing. And so there's not so much fear about, well, I ever recover what's going to happen next. Like what if, what if, what if, um, so yeah, I, one of the things actually that I had a chance to do recently that honestly does not come up very often in my practice, even though I talk about it a lot is people coming in ahead of time to prepare for surgery and to prepare, interesting mm -hmm, to prepare before the surgery happens for what will happen after. Um, so the idea is that if you go in with your tissues as released and kind of open and, and physically, 
um, like nervous system prepped as much as possible, that it will make the surgery easier. It'll mm-hmm. make the surgery outcomes better. That I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's any scientific evidence to speak to that. But what I do see is that the folks who really take the time to, to prepare in advance to make a, a plan that they write down and give to their family members, this is how you're going to help support me during recovery. When all of that is done in advance, it's just such a more relaxing process to come out of surgery and feel like you actually have the resources that you need to fully recover as quickly as possible. Well, it also sets you up for success. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes away a lot of the mystery and a lot of the fear of, um, of like, when you have a chance to talk to somebody like me who has a lot of experience working with somebody after surgery, mm-hmm. I can, I can then say, okay, I want you to expect that, you know, when you, yes. as you're recovering, try not to just sit in one place or in one position all the time. Right. Um, try to get up and move around a little bit more. I want you to start preparing your mind. Imagine yourself touching your scar. Um, don't start touching it right away. You don't need that, but you know, start preparing yourself in your mind for when schedule your, uh, maybe you are going to schedule with me or another practitioner, or you're going to do some self care after your surgery, mm-hmm. put it on your calendar now so that when you're in your, that foggy post surgical state, right. uh, that you don't have to come up with it then when you're already feeling a little out of it. Right. Um, so thinking ahead to things like that can really relieve a lot of the stress that can come with recovery after surgery. It's interesting though. You talk about people who refer you at the six week mark. Are you also beginning to see, or are you entering into finding these relationships before people go in? I mean, do you have a network that helps you to do this? Because clearly if everybody works as a team, it takes a village. Yeah. Yes. And I will say that the people who refer to me, the naturopathic doctors, I've even had a couple of gynecologists, um, OBGYNs mm-hmm. referring to me over the years, um, other, you know, chiropractors, people who are seeing people, folks before their surgeries, they, I will totally give them all the credit. They do a great job encouraging people to come to see me before their surgery. Good. And, and I love that the, but most people don't take them up on it. Don't take them up on the referral and they wait just till after the surgery. Right. There's a well, lot that goes there's into a that. lot that I goes, yeah. I mean, yeah. mentally, I think sometimes people have a very difficult time yes. scheduling yeah. surgery. The logistics of dealing with the medical system alone can Absolutely. be daunting and adding one more appointment that sounds to them maybe feel good as opposed to I'm going to feel better if I do yes. this. Um, so, okay, listeners, I'm going to encourage you to <laughs> seek it out first. <laughs> I, I know that after listening to you, I would seek it out first. Um, I, I think it's interesting, though, because you, you can only seek that out for cancer surgeries, appendectomies, kidney donations, um, you know, things, things like that. You certainly can't do it for childbirth because you don't know if you're going to have a section and you're usually wishing and hoping and praying that you're not. Yeah. So, at least I was. Um, so I, I think it's interesting. That's good. I'm glad to hear the medical community talking to one another more. Yes. And that has really been a big shift, I would say, in the last five years. 
Prior to that, there was, man, as I was doing a lot of outreach and letter writing and talking to different doctors and surgeons and all sorts of different things, there was a real resistance to this. But things have really changed in the last, well, yes, they have really changed in the last five years. I would agree. Yeah. And is it to the level that I would really like it to be at? No, of course not. But (laughs) it is changing. And I'm really appreciative that surgeons, doctors are are getting more on board with this idea um, that surgery is really a big deal, shouldn't be taken lightly, and that there's a lot that they can do to help their patients really come through it more with that that feeling of flying colors rather than just kind of hanging on by their fingernails. Well, I think even things like Cardiac surgeries, which is much more of a thoracic chest surgery. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they're given PT afterward. Yes. But if you have an appendectomy, you have a cholecystectomy, your gallbladder, et cetera, um, you have a cesarean. No one's telling you other than to wait six weeks before you take on other things. Um, it's, it's simply not done because a surgeon cuts. Right. A surgeon right. cuts. And there's not a lot of offboarding when you're let out of the hospital, especially after having a baby. And yes, even right. after something as major as donating a kidney, there's, there's some follow up, but it's more, are your incisions clean? Exactly. And not infected. It's, it's not, here's how it may affect you going forward. Do you find that you do a lot of that education? Yes. And I'm finding that my clients, so it's funny that you've been um, bringing up the kidney donation because I recently had a kidney donor come in and Mm -hmm. she was saying, as so many of my clients do, I'm taking your cards and I'm talking to my surgeons about you because this is so necessary. So I really feel like there is this groundswell of patients talking to their doctors about it. And I think if we as patients just continue to kind of push on that and, and encourage our doctors to really take this seriously, you know, it's not an instant fix, but it, over time, it will absolutely make a difference. I would love to see that be part of the kidney transplant team, yes. which is a huge team. And That's right. This, this one was particularly at Hopkins, but it, you know, they're around the country and it would be nice if it was part of the team because there's not always good communication among the various pieces of right. a transplant team for obvious reasons, but it, It'd be nice if it could be changed and made a little more human. Yes. yes. <laughs> I know. So we're going on our final break of the show. Remember, you can go to healmybelly.com for more information. Don't go away. We'll be back after these short messages. Stay with us. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. Recently, while my family was skiing in Colorado, we were greeted by a red fox that darted out of the trees. This beautiful animal with his big bushy tail just stood in the snow and stared right at us. Maybe he smelled all the loverwort we had in our pockets. Loverwort is another word for junk and snack food. Typically, a red fox eats scrub and woodland, but this one appeared to have had his share of hamburgers and hot dogs from the chalet grill. Foxes are similar to dogs, except they are not pack animals. The female fox, or vixen, typically gives birth to a litter of 2 to 12 pups. When they are young, they all live together as a family, known as a leash of foxes. Once grown, the young foxes leave the burrow and go out to live on their own. It's I'm 
Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to the American Heart Association, cardiovascular disease claims more women's lives than the next six causes of death combined. Nearly 500,000 women's lives a year, which is nearly twice as many as all forms of cancer. Cardiovascular disease is mostly preventable, so understanding serious health threats can make a life-saving difference. Exercise and losing weight are the cornerstones of living heart healthy. This is true for women and men. By exercising and keeping your heart rate up for at least 20 minutes, five days a week, you are making a positive step forward in keeping your heart healthy. Exercise also helps you lose weight, which is essential when it comes to your heart's health. Remember, if you have too much body fat, especially in your waist area, you're at a higher risk for health problems, whether you're male or female. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back. I think one of the things that I think about um, when I think of abdominal pain or discomfort is oftentimes I will say to myself, huh, my back is also sore. So I've been doing too much sitting. I have been doing abdominal exercises, but I haven't been doing anything for my back. And I think a lot of people are worried about appearance. So they will do abdominal exercises, but they won't understand that the the back is the other side of the abdominal muscles. And so many, many Americans have back pain. You can get out of bed after a certain age and have slept wrong and have back pain. So can you speak to how you talk with someone who comes in with back pain and it might be weak abdominals, it might be overdeveloped back muscles, and it may be something else entirely? Yes, absolutely. And part of this comes from my own very personal experience. I have something called ankylosing spondylitis. Oh boy, I know what that is. Okay. Yep. So I basically have very advanced arthritis in my low back and, you know, I'm not quite 40 yet. And it looks like the low back of a 90 year old woman. So it's taken me a long, long time to figure out how to stabilize my low back Mm -hmm. without drugs, without, you know, some of the other interventions that I'm just not willing to do. And a lot of this, the reason I bring that up is because this has really taught me a lot about this sort of destabilization or, you know, overwork of the low back or potentially not enough work of the low back, things like that. And one of the things that I teach all of my clients and my students is that the abdomen really starts kind of mid thigh. And that seems so counterintuitive. Okay. Yes. Yes. But the muscles that interact with our pelvic bones, our hip bones, they, the, the muscles of the legs, a lot of the big muscles of the legs attach directly to our pelvis. Mm -hmm. And because of that, if our legs, the muscles of our legs are too weak, too tight, um, imbalanced, it can drag on the pelvis in ways that causes a lot of the abdominal pain and low back pain that so many people experience. Mm -hmm. So no one gets out of my abdominal sessions without also having some (laughs) leg work done. Um, And this is both fronts of the legs, inside of the legs, and back of the legs up into the butt or the glutes. And so tell, tell me this on, on yeah. Facebook, you know, the total authority on everything. Um, 
uh, that and Dr. Google, they, there's a lot of talk these days about hip flexors and mm. the amount of time we sit. And so the shortening of some of these ligaments, tendons, muscles, etc., and the same for the back of the legs. People are talking about sciatica, uh, mm. low back pain. Uh, men carry their wallets on their hip and can cause stuff. Uh, it, it is all connected, isn't it? It really is. And you've mentioned a couple times that that there is a real difference between functional medicine, functional PT, yep. and sort of other forms there of is. it. And right. this really is in the functional medicine, functional movement mm-hmm. um, piece of it. And that is that you know, if your butt is not strong enough mm-hmm. um, to support your hips as they move, if you're not getting glute engagement as you're walking, as you're moving around throughout your day, as you're getting up out of chairs, or as you mentioned, getting up out of bed, mm-hmm. if if your glutes and the backs of your legs are too weak and the fronts of your legs are too strong, right. which is often or or too An strong imbalance, for, right? An imbalance, exactly. That's where a lot of that hip flexor talk that you just mentioned comes right. from. Um, and so it's not, you know, we blame everything on the hip flexors, but really it's about like <laughs> those poor hip flexors, those poor hip flexors. <laughs> but it could just be that your butt isn't strong enough to help the hip flexors. Like, so the hip flexors are having to do all the work and right. because we sit so much, they're already shortened. They right. just get overtaxed. And so we have to learn how to rebalance the musculature from front to back and side to side. And that alone can relieve a huge amount of discomfort in the low back Very and other places. Um, and so in, in terms of also this issue of when you have had abdominal surgery, and we talked about before how those incisions change the tension patterns of over your time. musculature over right. time, um, that change in that functional movement can really throw things off through the hips and the low back as well. So it's not, you know, we've been spending the whole time talking about the abdomen, which I love and is important, but we have <laughs> to remember that the abdomen is 3D. It's right. from the front to the back, all the way to the back. Like it's not, there's no blank space in there and there's no dividing line where it's like, oh, this is just the front body and this is just the back body. Mm-hmm. You know, most of those muscles wrap around or go right. through the center. Um, your guts, your intestines definitely aren't just in the front. They are also resting mm-hmm. against the, the spine and the back of your body. Um, so there's so much in, in just the way that we conceptualize the body that, that it really helps if we start thinking about it as a whole, right? And how does everything work together? Well, I've got a question for you because while I obviously recognize the, the issues that it involve, I have never heard of an abdominal practitioner until we spoke. Uh-huh. There don't seem to be many of them. Am I incorrect? And I've just been missing out? Unfortunately, we are sort of thin on the ground. Uh, um, okay. And part of that is how body workers and massage therapists are trained, which very often we are taught to avoid the belly. For what reason? I have no real understanding. It's probably going all the way back to privacy concerns. Possibly. Possibly. Um, And I think because of the presence of the abdominal organs, it that somehow scares people. But, you know, the the abdominal organs, if we're able to get in there and surgically change them. Right. Right. Exactly. They're, They're really robust. They are really... 
Um, you know, these if are that our- were true, every bar fight would have right. people in the hospital. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's true. I think, you know, for some reason, the abdominal organs, and I think it's just lack of education. We're not taught to think about the abdominal organs, how resilient they are, how awesome they are, how much they can really take. Um, And so we just tend to avoid it um, for a number of different reasons. But yes, so practitioners tend to be thin on the ground. I have started for this very reason, a um, small practitioner directory on my website. There are some practitioners from across the country on there now. I would love to have more and more um, come out of the word work and, and become more visible because I do think it's so important to have access to really wonderful practitioners who can help you in this. My guess is that there are more out there, but they don't identify as an abdominal practitioner Exclusively. My guess is that they are osteopaths and naturopaths and other people who work hands-on with people, but may not have added that skill to their resumes. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think that's entirely a possibility. Um, And there are more and more practitioners becoming trained and becoming trained in a more robust way with the abdominal stuff. So, you know, even a colleague and I made a little online program. It's on my my website um, to help practitioners learn how to safely start working with their clients and their bellies. So so on your website, your healmybelly.com, is that for practitioners or for people who are seeking help or information? It's mostly for people who are seeking help and information. Okay. Um, and I do have online programs that are video based so people can learn how to work with their own bellies. Interesting. Uh, so if you can't find somebody near you or you just want to do this in your own home, in your mm-hmm. own bed, or just come into this, um, more robust relationship with your own belly, then well, maybe I'd just love- as a start, you know, it's yes. it, it, to, to understand more about what you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that, see, I just think it's, I'm fascinated because again, I am fascinated by the functional medicine movement. You know, we, we grew up thinking about family practitioners and GPs. Now we're in the world of sub, sub specialties and one doesn't talk to the other. And if you have abdominal pain, you don't talk to your family practitioner. They immediately schedule you with someone else. Right. But it seems to me that the more we really do get down to the systems of the body and how it's all connected, if we can have medical professionals talking closely with one another, we really do have a better chance of having better care and better outcomes. But I, I, coming back to our, our entire topic today in terms of abdominal assistance and help and making you healthier. Tell me again some of the things that people come to you for so that listeners identifying with some of the things you mentioned will know that there are options for them. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about post-birth and it doesn't, I see women who have had very successful vaginal births as well. So you don't have to have had surgery in order to need belly support. Right. Um, so other things, bowel obstructions are a really big thing that can send people to the ER time and time again with excruciating, terrifying pain. Um, so that's one thing that the manual work I have found is one of the most effective ways to deal with bowel obstructions. So that's out there. Um, okay. Pelvic pain, whether it's internal pain, like pain during sex, um, pain with urination, pain with bowel movements or other forms of digestion 
um, that can the manual work can go a long way in helping that as well. Um, There are certain things that show up again, kind of heading back towards the birth side of things that pubic symphysis pain, the pubic bone pain after giving birth. A lot of that stems from those really tight legs that were working so hard during labor. Um, So that can really be helped. Um, you know, we've touched on the digestive stuff, like even if your bowel movements are fine, which for a lot of people, they're not, they're either experiencing constipation or chronically loose bowels, things like that. Mm -hmm. A lot can be done to help with those processes in the belly. Indigestion often gets, um, and hiatal hernias often kind of get a little bit of unfortunate treatment sometimes when they're only addressed through the medications that take down stomach acid. Yes. A lot of times those things can are really stemming from just the guts or the stomach sitting in a little bit of a wonky position in the belly. And if you can kind of bring them back into a healthier place in the belly, then a lot of that type of indigestion, GERD type stuff can be relieved. So it's a huge, a huge list. It is a very large (laughs) list. It's actually larger than I had realized. And it, it, but it makes sense. And I really thank you for sharing your knowledge and wisdom today, because these are things that sometimes we feel, especially as women, I guess it's just part of being a woman. I guess it's part of being older. I guess it's part of, well, you know, it was an accident. It was a car accident in my teens, and now I can't do anything about it. So what I think you've done is provide hope today. And please do go to healmybelly.com and take a look at these online courses, the videos, and the information that's there. And, Isabel, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Linda. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure for us as well. I will post all this in the show notes. And again, you've been listening to Isabel Spradlin talking about abdominal health with her practitioning to help you be your best. Take care. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped it's like they're unstoppable yeah i have me too 